This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. So, let me tell you a story about me. When I was 18, I went to Mexico for five months before I started college. You know, life experience and all that stuff. And I completely fell in love with it. So much so, in fact, that when I did go to college, I decided to major in Latin American studies and then to get a master's degree in anthropology with a focus on Mexican immigration to the U.S. All the time I was doing this, first in Chicago and then in Michigan, I was used to seeing Mexican faces and hearing Mexican Spanish around me, since both of those places have pretty big Mexican populations. But then I moved to New York, and the whole scene changed. Spanish I heard was mostly Dominican or Puerto Rican, and the people speaking it were, unsurprisingly, Dominican and Puerto Rican themselves. That was until I went to Mothaven, a neighborhood in the South Bronx that is just over the Willis Avenue Bridge from East Harlem, on a story. I started to see and hear things that I had not seen and heard in a while, things like Mexican-Spanish, banda music, and Mexican flags in people's apartment windows. So I looked into it. Turns out that the New York City area has in recent years become home to more than half a million people of Mexican origin. About 350,000 live in the city. That's more than triple the number of those who lived in the area two decades ago. Most of the Mexican immigrants to New York are from the Mixteca region of the country. That region includes parts of the states of Oaxaca, Guerrero, and Puebla. It's an area with a lot of farming, a lot of small towns, and not as much European or American influence as many parts of Mexico. As of yet, New York Mexicans as a group haven't gotten a lot of attention. But recently, there has been a lot of interest, particularly at the City University of New York, where they've been studying and actively recruiting Mexican immigrants for the last few years. David Badillo is an associate professor of Latin American and Puerto Rican studies at CUNY's Lehman College in the Bronx. He's one of the contributors to the new book Catholics in New York, Society, Culture, and Politics, 1808 to 1946. That book is out from Fordham University Press and the Museum of the City of New York and is a companion to the museum's exhibit of the same name. Badillo is also the author of a book on Latino Catholicism. And more recently, he's been researching some of New York's most recent Catholic emigres. He joined me in the studio this week to enlighten me on the situation. David Badillo, welcome. Thanks, Nora. Glad to be here. So tell me about Mexicans in New York. Just give me a snapshot. They're a pretty recent population in some sense in terms of their visibility, but their roots actually go back to the 1920s where there were Mexican clubs and various folks filtering in and out of the southwest in Mexico. Uh, Their presence here is nothing short of spectacular in the past two decades, and I think any New Yorker would be uh, much more aware of of this new migration. We have an older Latino population, but this one is is getting a lot of attention, both in uh, the academy, and also I think there's a certain popular awareness. Mexican restaurants are sprouting all over the place, and there's a presence that's developed here. Tell me a little bit about the history of Mexican migration to New York City. Uh, Well, as far as I could tell, uh, it started at the same time, roughly, that you have people leaving Mexico in a mass exodus during the Mexican Revolution years. That's roughly the decade of 1910 and into the 1920s. But they're not really coming here directly from Mexico, as they are in other places like Los Angeles and San Antonio and Chicago. It's more of a diversion uh, around uh, through the Southwest. Uh, But 
There are other folks who arrived here in New York City uh, as uh, a merchant uh, through the ports, and uh, their numbers weren't that great, uh, a couple of thousand by uh, 1930s, and then they started going back due to the bad economic times. But the resurgence uh, really began in the 1980s when conditions in Puebla, Mexico, and the Mixteca region of Mexico uh, began to get worse for agricultural uh, folks, and they started looking here, and there were a few networks that grew up after World War II, so a, a chain migration developed. So it's an older population in some sense, but the, what we're really talking about is the post-1980 uh, new immigration of Mexicans that's uh, really ballooned. Most of the Mexican immigrants in New York are from the region of Puebla. Tell me about that area. Where are they coming from? Well, the Mixteca region is one of the more isolated regions in the south of Mexico, south of the capital, and it's significant uh, in several respects. Since it is so remote, it was one of the uh, areas where there wasn't a great deal of huge European settlement early. And, and uh, so, the, so the bottom line is the folks here are coming with a lot more uh, indigenous culture, indigenous language, which isn't really the case in the border states. So uh, they're kind of the, the among the last people of Mexico from the regions to begin to uh, out-migrate. So this includes the state of Puebla, the state of Guerrero, and, um, you know, accompanying areas and, and that uh, constitute what's known as the Mixteca. And there are some immigrants, or actually some groups of immigrants, um, from Mexico to New York that don't speak Spanish at all. Yeah, well, they're they're coming from areas where they're really not well integrated into the Mexican economy. So uh, that has a lot of linguistic implications. Also, their identity—they don't really consider themselves as uh, as you know Mexicans as such. Maybe they're more Mixtecans, or they're, they're folks from Oaxaca too, who are also a, a very large. Strand, so their identities are different, their languages are different, their um, ethnic ancestry is all very different than, say, somebody coming from Michoacan or from the northern uh, parts of Mexico and just, uh, you know, what into the southwest. So it's a very different dynamic, and it changes the way people perceive Mexicans as a uh, maybe more exotic in some sense. Uh, and, uh, and certainly less European. So that, that makes for a different uh, racial dimension that has to be dealt with here among uh, the migrants and by the people who are receiving them. Now, when you think of migrants, immigrants from a specific country, you don't tend to think, oh, well, they're, they're from that state or they're from that city. So they're fundamentally different from the groups that are, say, in the Midwest or in California or Arizona. But obviously, um, the Mixteca region is it's culturally different from, say, Mexico City. Tell me how that area is culturally different and how it affects what we see in New York. Uh, well, as I mentioned, it's it's much more remote, and uh, the towns themselves are not as modern. I mean, they're becoming more so as the migrants send remittances back home. There, there's more investment, but without. Without a lot of history of, uh, of capital investment, these are uh, many of them are sleepy towns, rural towns that are, are now all of a sudden being uh, bolstered by tremendous uh, amounts of, of investment sent by the migrants. I interviewed a few f people recently 
from that area, and uh, they're amazed at how the towns are undergoing a transformation in uh, communications and construction and their infrastructures. But if you get up north Mexico, things are much more Americanized and there's much more development there. But even these remote regions are being involved in a whole transnational global economy little by little. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's been good and bad, but it's uh, definitely um, accelerated the pace of economic and social life there. Tell me a little bit about remittances. You mentioned that term, but it might not be something we're that familiar with. Well, it's not something you would see. Maybe you would see that there are a lot of Western Union stores and, uh, you know, you would observe a lot of um, people uh, congregating then around there around the time they get their paychecks. But uh, the the migrants themselves send, uh, you know, billions of dollars per year to Mexico and um, they're sacrificing and uh, saving and then supporting families back home as well as trying to eke out a living here. In many cases, among the more settled migrants, it's not a, a case of just survival. You know, there are There is a middle class here. There are many uh, people who have been here for quite a while, and there's a second, even third generation. But um, the original uh, survival needs lead people to send money back home, and you know this has a, a ripple effect on the economy there. So just on a most basic level, why are Mexicans emigrating to New York? Well, the Mexicans in New York are, are coming for economic reasons, either agricultural uh, displacement or some other sort of economic displacement. But along with that, there's a, a cultural change that people kind of reach a certain age and it becomes a, a rite of passage that uh, one realizes the opportunities are limited and uh it's a difficult path, but many young men in particular are expected to do that, and, and all strata of the society come. Women come, children come, uh, the elderly. It's uh, pretty much institutionalized now. Is there sort of a typical immigration story from, uh, from Mexico to New York? And if so, could you tell me what it is? Well, I, the family that I looked at, I don't know how, how typical they were because they did come with uh, visas. This was back in the 1980s. In a sense, they um, were more of an immigrant story fitting into the, the New York City narrative. I mean, to the extent that, say, Puerto Ricans fit at the tail end of this old migration, they fit in there. And they were also the beginning of the... Um, uh, kind of the harbinger of uh, the new immigration, which includes people from Africa, from you know Asia, and from from all over. So um, the ones who got a foothold earlier in the early 1980s began to uh, have a frame of reference for making a transition. The Perez family relied heavily on their uh, Puerto Rican and Dominican neighbors to get oriented to know how to register in the local school to. Uh, begin to um, get involved culturally. Uh, they, they benefited from that, but there was still a lot of uncharted territory. So I found talking to a lot of the Mexican immigrants, old and new, there's a tremendous amount of improvisation that people have to do. And it's a skill that you don't really learn in the Mixteca, but maybe there are some survival skills that one develops that you can somehow apply to the urban scene. But uh, it's a story that's very interesting for me. I've done a lot of work on Mexican-Americans in the Southwest and Mexican immigrants in Chicago, and this is kind of a mix of that. You know, Chicago is a more recent 
place for immigration, but even that dates back to a much uh, earlier time in terms of its its scope and uh, and impact. So um, the New York migration is really si- <coughs> situated uh, on top of that, and and then you also have this uh, transnational element, which is is so predominant that there are very few Mexicans in New York with roots back pre-1980. So so the, the orientation is much more towards Mexico, and I'm not sure how much this really fits with the old uh, ethnic narrative of wave after wave of immigration. How is it different? Well, you can uh, envision and visualize and, and interact more with your home community uh, with technology and communications. People have internet uh, you know, you used to be just sending uh, videotapes of weddings and events back, back and forth. But you know, now you're in real time, and the immigrants are are picking it up. And um, you know, again, it's just developing a strategy that works. Immigration to New York by Mexicans has been overall a fairly recent thing. Why is it happening now? It's been happening uh, for for twenty years with uh, deteriorating conditions in Mexico. There's also been um, a receptivity in New York to Mexican immigration. Uh, I'd say it was more em- embracing immigrants generally and Mexicans as immigrants, uh, which is helpful. The Mexican government has also been more um, conducive to uh, emigration of its uh, nationals. In the past, there had been a, a kind of a disassociation. I'm talking about 15, 20 years and, and way before then with people who were leaving, they were seen as somehow, you know, culturally betraying the the ideal of what Mexicans thought uh, Mexicans should be, and they had derogatory names such as pochos, kind of like New Yorkans, people in Puerto Rico or in the Dominican Republic, Dominican Yorks, they were somehow seen as, as culturally uh, mixed in a, in a negative way. But the government, uh, for practical reasons, decided that it was going to embrace emigration to a greater extent, and it began... Uh, facilitating community organization among the people here. And they were naturals at it anyway. All, all these communities and uh, parish networks uh, bred a tremendous amount of um, community loyalty and particularly connected back with the home state. So the government began to facilitate um, the consulate outreach with Mexican organizations, which helped remittances, helped education. Uh, even the City University of New York now has a an initiative that uh, started back in 2005 where we're very much uh, involved working with the consulate and the community organizations and getting the Mexican-American youth uh, into CUNY. You are listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. My guest in the studio today is David Badillo. Padilla is an associate professor of Latin American and Puerto Rican studies at Lehman College. We're talking today about Mexican immigration to New York. In a few minutes, we'll have a more personal look at Mexican immigration. But first, let's hear the rest of my conversation with David Badillo. So tell me, um, where would you go in New York City where you'd see big Mexican neighborhoods? I wouldn't even say that they're Mexican neighborhoods, but there's Mexican settlement throughout the region. The consensus is that uh, there's no one Mexican area, but Mexican settlement has filtered into a lot of Latino areas in Brooklyn and the South Bronx, also the Northern Bronx, not far from here. Belmont has 
become one of the largest uh, areas uh, because of the employment opportunities around Arthur Avenue and all throughout the North Bronx. In uh, in Queens, uh, Jackson Heights, its area is particularly um, concentrated, uh, Brooklyn, and even El Barrio, the East Harlem, has gone through a few waves of Latino migration. And now it's uh, it's very visible in terms of Mexican uh, restaurants and various stores, and also the presence. The Mexican uh, labor goes wherever the demand is. So that kind of disperses it uh, pretty well. And I would also add in uh, Westchester County, New Jersey, and the surrounding, throughout the tri-state region, there's a huge Mexican population. Also in Long Island, there's a pretty big Mexican population. Isn't Mexican there? population, yeah. And uh, I believe there's a large Salvadoran population too. So Mexicans are finding themselves wherever they go, kind of in, in a Latino melting pot, you know, which is a little bit different than the European narrative where you're just kind of going into the previous group. And there's a, you know, and in, in many cases also there are cultural similarities. In Brooklyn, the uh, Mexican family uh, that I studied uh, had a very close tie uh, with some of the Norwegians who were leaving Sunset Park in the Bushwick region during the 70s and 80s. If I'm just sort of a New Yorker who's just walking down the street, what what signs of sort of Mexican culture would I have recently started seeing? Well, if you take a look around Belmont, you'll begin to see the changing um, uh, Italian-American um, kind of symbolism. I mean, it's still, of course, very much that way, but it, it, you'll see a lot of, for instance, Latino uh, hair salons, uh, which aren't necessarily De- uh, Mexican, maybe they're Dominican, but you'll see uh, Mexicans uh, having uh, um, various sales on the street. You'll have uh, see a lot of restaurants with the, the tricolor Mexican uh, flags, which are kind of similar to some of the other ethnic groups there. So it's a very subtle change uh, that's even happening in Belmont. But uh, if, if you look a little deeper in the churches, such as Our Lady of Mount Carmel, you'll see that there's um, the parish co- constitutions or compositions are becoming uh, increasingly Mexican. And, this, and I wrote a book on uh, Latino Catholicism, uh, Latinos in the New Immigrant Church, where you, you see it's kind of a, a given that as Latinos begin to enter um, a Catholic parish that uh, things change culturally and you have a kind of a little mini ethnic assimilation tensions and all kinds of things going on in there. In the case of this area, you have a very large uh, Italian, but an old Italian population, which is is not even that large anymore. You have incoming um, uh, Albanians and and all sorts of other immigrants who are um, combining in, in not only in the larger society, but in some cases, you know, in Catholic parishes and uh, schools, and um, it's uh, it's great ethnic theater. How are Mexicans in New York perceived by other groups? I think they're conceived uh, as being uh, very hardworking. They're coming here without, uh, many cases, without documents and meaning they're prepared to do whatever they have to do to survive and whatever meager wages they can uh, earn here is usually better than what they can get back in Mexico. Other than that, I I guess there's some class differences as Mexican immigrants move into what what was previously a a Dominican or Puerto Rican neighborhood. They're going to be ethnic and cultural 
and other differences, but I, I think there's a, a lot of goodwill. And generally, um, you know, this is New York City, so you, you have a tremendous immigrant tradition. Culturally, I think things are a little different. Puerto Ricans have certainly um, produced a certain culture in terms of music in particular, and the Mexican culture is not Afro-Cuban, Afro-Caribbean in origin, so there are a lot of differences, and there's not a, a, a great deal of, um, you know, maybe understanding on the part of Dominicans or Puerto Ricans of what Mexican culture is about. Maybe they haven't seen it. There hasn't really been that much interaction, but, you know, the food is different, the music and, and culture are different, but I think there's a lot of, uh, of goodwill. I was wondering, since a lot of the people who are emigrating from Mexico to New York are from this sort of rural area, is one of the big problems adjusting to city life? Yeah. I mean, increasingly you're getting people from the capital city of Puebla, and uh, there's also a large contingent from Mexico City itself. So maybe they're, they tend to be, uh, uh, you know, have, have a slightly different culture. It's just a different strand that uh, there was a a squatter area uh, outside of Mexico City, uh, in believe near Texcoco, and uh, people from there have just had a much more uh, urban experience, and they're going to be much more focused on urban culture. And and there's probably a leveling out within the community of the urban and the rural mixes. And the longer you're in New York, obviously, you know, city life is going to is going to change you, and it's going to change you from what you were back in Mexico. So I think it's also going to make it difficult for people to just readily accept the idea or the notion that they're just going to eventually build a house and go back to Mexico and be comfortable there. I mean, that really wasn't the case with Puerto Ricans who may have dreamed of uh, living back in the the kind of hibero lifestyle, and but after living in New York for 20, 25 years, it, it, it was never realized. So, yeah, that's also pretty typical that that they're going to real begin to um, uh, envision their futures here, and and especially for their children, rather than going back to the ways of their ancestors. What does Catholicism mean for New York Mexicans? Well, it's very important for all Latinos. It represents their culture, and it also represents a, a, a vehicle for survival. Uh, there, there are important networks in the, these parishes that offer a lot of social uh, and cultural support. Um, I've spoken with Father John Grange down on 138th Street, and his parish is perhaps the largest uh, singular Mexican parish in the city, and he has a whole network of... Um, not only uh, church activities, but things related to job training and uh, child care and uh, employment referrals. So the church has become the first uh, line of defense uh, for incoming uh, Mexicans who are trying to survive. And it's also, uh, they've been involved in many of the civil rights uh, struggles of uh, trying to find a path for citizenship or at least some way out of a um, immigration limbo that many of the Mexican Americans find themselves so it's it's uh, there's certainly the the cultural and the religious aspect but uh, it's become a political vehicle uh, insofar as their um, survival is dependent upon a new awareness of their their uh, survival and their citizenship and it's really taken on a, a whole life of its own but that's mainly in one that particular area I'm not sure that, that we're going to see that 
replicated in many areas of the archdiocese and in the Brooklyn diocese. The the Mexican Americans are are not uh, being received in a particularly uh, nurturing way. So so there are a lot of contrasts within Catholicism, and I think that influences how much they're going to participate. I was really interested in that one parish that's uh, St. Jerome's in Mm -hmm. the South Bronx, how active and interested he was. Father uh, John Grange has been around in that parish since the 1970s. In fact, he grew up there, and uh, he witnessed the whole era of the fires and the tremendous devastation, and he considers the Mexican immigration a part of the rebuilding process. Uh, His old parishioners, many of the Puerto Rican families, have moved out to Long Island or Rockland County, but the Mexican parishioners have been... um, the lifeblood, and, and he's very dedicated. He brought in some sisters from Puebla who uh, help him uh, maintain the parish on a day-to-day basis, but he's kind of out there on his own, and he does uh, tremendous work, and um, he also is willing to fight the archdiocese when necessary to uh, call attention to the plight of the Mexicans in, in the South Bronx, and I think he, he's done very well. We know a lot about the... Um immigration from Italy and from Ireland that happened into New York. Tell me how this sort of wave of Mexican immigration compares with those. Well, just in the the sphere of Catholicism, uh, you have a tremendous uh, national focus on doing things according to Mexican Catholicism, and this is a very big institutional challenge for the Catholic Church. In many ways, the, the people who've dealt with earlier immigrant groups, of course, will all look at the similarities in, in there. But uh, we're dealing with huge numbers. We're also dealing with the proximity uh, of a country with over 100 million inhabitants uh, and the prospects for a, a continued interaction for decades. It's it's going to be much more of a challenge and, and a continuous type of a thing rather than the intermittent migration. So uh, there's not going to be much of a time for reflection. It's more constant interaction and the changes as Mexican-Americans begin to enter the public school system in huge numbers in CUNY and Wall Street and so forth. We're definitely going to have a a new cultural uh, mosaic. Well, David Badillo is an associate professor of Latin American and Puerto Rican studies at Lehman College up here in the Bronx. David Badillo, thanks so much. Thanks, Nora. This is Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. Just after the show this morning, it's Cityscape with George Bodarkey. On today's show, a look at Westchester's Playland Amusement Park. That's ahead at 7.30. But first, we've been talking today on the show with David Badillo about what Mexican immigrants are doing once they reach the U.S. But we haven't talked much about people's personal experiences of immigration. From Elizabeth Pliego for Cura Youth Radio in Chicago, we have this look at one woman's immigration experience. It's a letter to her aunt Ophelia, who migrated to Chicago from Mexico and had to leave her children behind. The drive was five hours through the hot desert. No water or food. You were swallowed up into a white Honda van, along with 12 other immigrants. As tiny as you are, Tia... The driver, or as we call them, el coyote, decided to flatten you under the front seat so that another two people could squat on top of you. The job was 12 hours a day and $6 an hour. You barely had time to eat. 
Your back throbs from packaging food at 105th and Cicero from mid-morning to midnight. You do this to earn a couple dollars to mail back to your family. When you come home, your eyes are the color of blood. Tia, ¿qué tiene? What's wrong, I ask you. You then reply, nothing, I just miss my kids. And you bow your head and flare tears. You've left my cousins, Ivan, with his baby cat teeth, and Milton, who had plumpy cheeks of a six-year-old. Los extraño tanto. I miss my kids. I can't stand the pain of missing them anymore. I can't imagine the pain of a mother who has left her kids to work in a different country. I know you wish to fly my cousins in, but it's impossible to pass them into the U.S. the same way you came across. This is why, Tia Ophelia, if I could give you anything in the world, I would give you a citizen certification grant for my cousins. They can fly into Chicago on La Mexicana Airline with reclinable seats in first class, sipping on their orange juice and munching on some peanuts. At the landing, as you wait for their hugs, they'd rush to the warmth of a mother and you'd wipe the tears off their baby cheeks. You then know that you will never again separate from my cousins. Never again will you be separated by hours or days or dollars. That piece produced for Curie Youth Radio at Curie High School in Chicago. From WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org, this has been Fordham Conversations. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email us at FordhamConversations at WFUV.org. We would, of course, love to hear from you. Fordham Conversations is available as a podcast at WFUV.org. It's also in our audio archive, which you can also find on our website. I'm Nora Flaherty. Cityscape is next. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful weekend.